Science and Answers. The virgin birth is essential to the incarnation of Christ. Is it reasonable to believe in a virgin birth? Didn't Christianity borrow the story of the virgin birth from pagan mythology? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. If you're unable to hear the entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, listen as Pat presents a case for the virgin birth of Christ in part one of his message, Defense of the Virgin Birth. Well, I've been given the challenging task of building a case for the virgin birth of Christ. So as we begin, let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks, and we pray now that we would come to a greater understanding and appreciation of what this special day of Christmas means to each one of us. And we dedicate this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And one of the most important aspects of Christmas is the miraculous virgin birth of Christ. Now, this is one of the most important aspects of the birth of Christ, but it is also one that atheists and skeptics constantly attack. And one reason is this. If the virgin birth is indeed true, then it builds a strong case that Jesus Christ is indeed the divine Son of God, and God has come to earth, the greatest message that can ever be given to mankind has taken place 2,000 years ago. And throughout the centuries, skeptics have presented arguments and alternative explanations of the birth account of Christ, such as the virgin birth is derived from Greek mythology, or that Jesus was an illegitimate child. Let's take a look at this video here. By the Jesus Seminar, a group of Supposed New Testament scholars presenting the historical explanation for the virgin birth of Christ. In the first century, there's dozens of stories like that. They're all over Greek and Roman mythology. So what do I do? Do I believe all of those stories or do I say all of those stories are lies except for our Christian story? Some scholars say that the virgin birth story written after Jesus was crucified was intended as a challenge to Roman power in the region. It's very similar to a story told about Caesar Augustus. In his official biography, it says that Augustus's mother was made pregnant by the Greek and Roman sun god, Apollo. His mother was in the temple of Apollo. She fell asleep during the night. She was impregnated by Apollo in the form of a snake. And therefore, of course, the child who was born was divine, Augustus. And of course, millions of people would have said in the first century, clear, look what he's done. He's brought peace to the warring empire. He's got rid of the, the civil wars. He's our man. Peacemaker? Son of God, these are all titles of Caesar Augustus. Uh, Lord, when the same story is told of Mary concerning Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it means where do you find your God? Do you find God in pomp and power with Augustus? Or do you find God in a Jewish child so poor he didn't even have a home to be born in? That's really what's at issue in that story. Some scholars think that there's another issue, that Jesus was illegitimate and the story was a cover-up. The cover-up was, uh, if Jesus had been illegitimate, there would have been some effort to make it appear that he was not illegitimate, once, once he became a heroic figure. Well, can we believe 
in the story of the virgin birth? Is there evidence for the unique birth of Jesus Christ? Well, let's first answer some objections raised against the virgin birth of Christ. First, the virgin birth is a miracle, okay? It is an act of God. And if there is a God who can act, then there can be acts of God. If God exists, miracles are possible. In fact, they are actual. Okay? The greatest miracle has occurred. You know what it is? God created the universe out of nothing. Okay? If God can create the universe out of nothing, is it any problem for him to have a virgin birth? Is it any problem for God to part the Red Sea? God can create the universe out of nothing. Is it any problem for God to resuscitate a dead body? If God exists, miracles are possible. Only a person with an anti-supernatural bias will discount any possibility of an act of God or a miracle. But to prove miracles are completely impossible, you have got to prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God does not exist. And that proposition is not possible to prove. And we know that there is strong evidence that indeed God does exist. Recently, I was on a debate not too long ago with an atheist, and we we're debating this very point of the virgin birth. And I said, well, it's a miracle. If there is a God who can act, there can be acts of God. And I said, to prove miracles are not possible, you have got to prove God does not exist. And I said, that's an impossible proposition to prove. And he, being a lawyer and a guy with a philosophy degree, understood that. And he was taken aback a little bit, and he finally said, well, he said, you're right. It's impossible to prove God does not exist. Because to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt God does not exist, that means you have to know everything there is to know about the universe. And once you know everything there is to know about the universe, then you can say conclusively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no God in the universe. It'd be like me saying this. I know for a fact, beyond any shadow of a doubt, not one nail. There is not a nail that was used in this building. Okay? And I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, how would I know that? Well, I'd have to know every inch of this building. Okay? In this room, outside the room, on the roof, I'd need to know every inch of this building to know conclusively. Okay? There's not one nail that was used in this building. To know beyond the shadow of a doubt there's no God means you know everything there is to know about the universe, and you know there's no God in the universe. And how much does man know about the universe? Less than 1%. All right? So that's an impossible proposition. And he agreed with me, and he said, well, can't prove God exists. And I said, well, we have good reason to believe that there is an intelligent creator, and the argument for an intelligent creator far outweighs the argument against an intelligent creator. The fact that the universe has a beginning, the law of causality. The fact that the universe displays design. It runs like an incredible machine. The fact that there is a universal moral law all point to the existence of an intelligent creator. So if God exists, then miracles are possible. The greatest miracle has occurred. God created the universe out of nothing. God can create this great universe out of nothing, then a virgin birth is very reasonable to believe. So if God exists, miracles are possible and reasonable to believe. And a 
miracle like the virgin birth, it's reasonable to believe since there is an intelligent creator. So a virgin birth is reasonable since there is strong evidence that an all-powerful creator exists. Well, critics allege, as you saw on the Jesus Seminar video there, that the story of Christ's virgin birth comes from Greek mythological accounts of virgin birth narratives. So, is there a pagan connection between the birth of Christ and these Greek narratives? Well, if you compare Greek myths to the virgin birth account of Christ, you're going to see very little parallel at all. First of all, the Gospels do not have the character of myth, but are written as historical works. For example, Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Look at his introduction there. It is filled with historical figures, exact times, and places, all of which have been verified through historical records and archaeology. This is not the character of a mythical legend here. Hundreds of archaeological and historical records confirm the historical accuracy of the Gospels. We'll be going to Israel in January 2019. Come join us and you can see some of these great discoveries for yourself. So the Gospels do not have the character of mythology. However, when it comes to these Greek stories, we all understand, even the Greeks understood they were mythical in nature and not historical. They were legendary. And really, there is no historical evidence to corroborate any of these accounts. Now, when you study these Greek stories themselves, you'll see very little parallel between their supposed virgin birth and the birth of Christ. For example, one that's often presented is the birth of Dionysus, which skeptical scholars say parallels the virgin birth of Christ. Well, let's see how closely it parallels. According to Greek mythology, Zeus came in the form of a man, as he many times does, and had sexual relations with a woman named Semele and impregnates her. Well, Hera, Zeus's wife, in a very jealous rage, whispers doubts in the ears of Semel that indeed Zeus is the father, and she begins to doubt that Zeus is the father of this child. Well, deeply troubled, Semel demands that Zeus appear, but he refuses to do so. And finally, he appears, and Semel is burnt to a crisp. Deeply troubled, Zeus takes the fetus from the womb of Samuel and sews it into his thigh. And the embryo grows and eventually comes to full maturity in the, quote, virgin birth of Dionysus. You can see the strong parallel between that and the virgin birth of Christ. What about Augustus Caesar? Well, according to legend here, his mother was worshiping in the temple of Apollo and she fell asleep. And the sun god Apollo came in the form of a snake and impregnated the mother of Augustus Caesar. Creepy story, man. Whoever came up with that one, man, ooh, You ever handled snakes? Ew, slimy things. Well, anyway, well, so as you can see, okay, when you study these Greek myths themselves, they hardly parallel the virgin birth account of Christ. So the Gospels are historical works confirmed by historical records and archaeology. The Greek 
legends are indeed legends. They're myths. They don't have the character of historical accounts, nor do they have any historical facts to corroborate their historical veracity. And when you study the Greek myths themselves, mostly about gods having adulterous affairs with human women, they hardly parallel the virgin birth account of Christ. So a virgin birth account is reasonable because an all-powerful God exists. If there is a God who can act, then there can be acts of God. And the allegation that it comes from Greek mythology is a very weak argument. Well, is there a case for the virgin birth of Christ? Can we build a case for that? Well, the first line of evidence comes from Bible prophecy. The virgin birth was predicted centuries before. In the Old Testament, the very first messianic prophecy occurs in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. There, the author writes, I'll put, God states this to Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, when it comes to Bible prophecy, there are over 500 prophecies predicted in the Bible which have come to pass. There's no other book that even comes close to the record and accuracy of biblical prophecy. They study them all. Nothing comes close. When it comes to the prophecies regarding Jesus Christ, there are over a hundred prophecies of Christ which have come to pass. Absolutely an incredible record. None like you have in any book throughout the history of mankind. So when the Bible predicts a virgin birth, okay, we can be sure that it's going to take place. Now, Genesis 3.15, if you take a look here, this is the first messianic prophecy here. It says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. All right. Now, this phrase, her offspring, or in some of your translations, it will say, I'll put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Okay, this phrase is important to note because in a patriarchal society, the lineage is traced through the father. But here, it only mentions the woman, okay, between your seed and her seed, or between your offspring and her offspring. All right? It implies that the Messiah would be human and come through the birth of a woman, but not a natural father. The next one, the famous one here, Isaiah 7, 14, that we recite often here at this time of the year. Okay? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the Hebrew word for virgin there is the Hebrew word Alma. Skeptics and critics, I got attacked on this one a few weeks ago by our atheist friend here. And he said, Alma doesn't mean virgin. Alma in the Hebrew means young maiden. It can mean a young maiden who's married or not married. It can mean either one. All right, so this is no proof of a miraculous virgin birth. This is not the prophecy of a virgin birth. Alma can mean either one. And I said, you are correct. Alma can mean 
young maiden who is married or young maiden who is not married. But when you do a word study in the Old Testament of the word Alma, every time it is used, it is used of a young unmarried woman. Okay? For example, Genesis chapter 24 uh, Abraham tells his servant, go to the land of Canaan for my forefathers and find me a young Alma for my son Isaac to marry. I hope he wasn't looking for a married woman. All right? He was looking for a young, unmarried woman for Isaac to marry. Whenever you see that word used, you do a word study in the Old Testament, it means virgin, okay? a young, unmarried woman. Okay? For this reason, the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament translated by the Jews. Okay? Not the Christians. It's translated by the Jews. It was completed in the 3rd century B.C., 300 years before Christ. They translate the word Alma properly to the Greek word Parthenos, which means virgin. Okay? So the virgin birth is prophesied in the Old Testament. And there are also hints in historical records that even the enemies of Christ knew that there were strange and unique circumstances around his birth. Okay, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a debate with the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders say, well, we don't need to, need to listen to you because our father is Abraham. Okay, and Jesus said this, if you were Abraham's children then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your own father does. And the Jewish leaders respond to Jesus and say, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. That's a strange response to give to Jesus, isn't it? We are not illegitimate children or children of adultery, as some of your translations read. The enemies of Christ, even they understood there's unique circumstances under Christ's birth. Joseph was not his father. Okay? Mary was pregnant before they were married, as the gospel records record. The Jewish Talmud, a commentary on the Old Testament law, states that Jesus' birth was the result of Mary having immoral relations with a Roman soldier. So the Jews understood that there's something peculiar about the birth of Christ, that Joseph is not the father, the biological father of Jesus. Now, this is the kind of rumor and allegation you would expect from skeptics who deny the miraculous birth of Christ. How else? Would they account for Mary's birth if not a virgin birth? These are the kind of accusations you would expect. So the virgin birth is possible. If there is a God who can act, there can be acts of God. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, and historical records show that even Christ's enemies knew that there was something unusual about the birth of Jesus Christ. So we have a reasonable case for the virgin birth. Now, the next question is this. Why did God need to do it that way? Why did we need a virgin birth? Well, there's many reasons why God had to do it this way, but here's just a couple. First is to fulfill prophecy. Genesis 
the Messiah who would redeem the world had to be human. All right? He needed to come from the seed of a woman. Not only did he have to be human, he needed to be divine. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, so he has to be human. To us a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. So not only would he have to be human, he has to be divine. And okay, he will sit upon the throne of his father, David, and rule an everlasting kingdom. He had to be a descendant of King David. All right, so to fulfill many of these prophecies, being virgin-born of Mary fulfills the biblical prophecies given of the Messiah. He was born human from the seed of Mary, and Mary is a descendant of King David, okay, thus fulfilling biblical prophecy. But not only that, we needed a Savior who was human, but also perfect, one without sin. How is that possible? How could absolute holiness reside in a body of sinful human flesh? Throughout the generations, the human body has inherited the sin nature from our forefathers, Adam and Eve, along with genetic and physical defects. Okay? The Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, needed to be perfect without sin, without blemish. But in order to be a savior of men, he had to be of flesh or human, but perfect without sin. How is that possible? Well, it's not possible through the normal reproductive process. If Jesus was conceived in the same way as other humans, he would inherit the sin nature and a defective body, which would disqualify him from being the perfect savior of mankind. Therefore, Christ's virgin birth keeps him fully holy from inheriting the sin nature and the defective human sinful body. So the virgin birth fulfills the requirements of Bible prophecy and a perfect sacrifice who is 100% man, 100% God. Only a man could be a perfect sacrifice for man. Only God in the flesh could be perfect and without sin. Well, what is the significance for us? Well, there's several. We'll just go over a few. If Jesus was virgin-born, then he has a miraculous entry into the world, and he is indeed the divine Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed it through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Only God can create life. In Exodus chapter 8, the magicians could counterfeit all of Moses' miracles except one, when Moses created life out of the dust of the earth. At that point, the magician said, we can't copy this. This is the finger of God. Only God can create life. We still don't know how we get life from non-life. Listen to my interviews with the top scientists from around the world. Science has never been able to prove that. Only God can create life. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. 
We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, please give him a call. Locally, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure and share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. 